We are in our we are in our third week of Jonah, third week of Jonah, and um, for those of you who need a little bit of help, please use the uh, the pew Bibles. It's a little warm in here. Maybe it's the tie. 774 in the Pew Bibles, or please use your index if you need to find it towards, towards the end of the Old Testament. Hear these words from God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to, Tar- to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, they said to him, What shall shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea may quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again look at your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell, that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to, leave, to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For I know it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, should, see, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And when the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand, from their, their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. I love reading this week after week for the past three weeks, getting you to hear the story over and over and over again. And hopefully as we're reading it over and over again, you're picking up little phrases and you're looking at Jonah's character and you're seeing what is all going on. And maybe... Even though there are VeggieTale movies out there, maybe you've heard it in Sunday school 101 times and you feel so familiar, each time it's read, you're going, oh my goodness, I did not pick up on that. I'm seeing something about God's character. I'm seeing something about uh, this, this guy Jonah and his anger and his issues that are constantly going on. And if you remember... For the past few weeks, we've been talking about how every year during the time of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, this whole book would be read just like we've done. And at the end, people corporately would confess out loud, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And the tr truth is, we are too. It's not just true of those, those people of Israel. You, me, us collectively, the church of Jesus Christ, in some way, we are Jonah. And this morning, I, I want us to look carefully here. We're going to be focusing on verses 4 through 17. That is going to be our focus this morning. And I want to 
point out two big themes this morning. And one is how we deal with God's justice and how God shows us His grace. How we deal with God's justice and how God shows us grace. First thing I want us to look at this morning is is Jonah's conversation with the sailors and what he says to them when when they ask him what to do. So we're going to be talking about the hurling and the rowing that is taking place here. In verse 11, we've got Jonah. And Jonah quickly moves from being the culprit of the story to being an expert. He, one minute the soldiers are turned from being upset at Jonah because their whole world, these are Phoenician sailors who know how to sail these seas. They are familiar with it. They They cross this Mediterranean Sea quite regularly. They are pros, and that's why Jonah hired them. So they are now caught up in this tremendous storm. He's been sleeping down the belly of this ship, and they had to awaken him. And he moves from being the culprit, the problem, to being the expert. They're upset with him. And the next minute, they are left with no other option but to turn to him for help. Because God is hurling this storm and he is not relenting. Did you pick it up? How often we got that God is hurling this storm and it's becoming more and more and more tempestuous? Time and again, it's, it's becoming even more churning and churning and it's getting uglier and the fear in their heart is getting greater. As I reread this story time and time again over this week, one of the dangers that I quickly can fall into in working with the Bible and really dissecting it and analyzing it, you know, what's in there, is that you can miss the full energy and the full emotion of this whole story. This is meant to be a narrative, a story that you can tell your children at bedtime and their eyes should get bigger and bigger as to what is going on. I mean, in the middle of this violent storm, the wind is howling, the, the rain is plummeting down hard on the deck, the ship is rocking back and forth, it's hard to keep your foothold on this deck. That is what is going on in all this. It wasn't just a little storm where it's like, oh, get a little seasick. No, it was diving up and down. The storm was just absolutely crazy. And it's not like they took the time to sit down, have a cup of tea or a beer on on the deck of the ship, and have a theological discussion about what is going on. This was an intense moment. So when verse 12 comes to you, you've got to imagine it. Jonah is on the deck of the ship, and he is shouting at the top of his lungs. He is saying, hurl me into the sea. You know, there is wind that is blowing back and forth. There is waves coming across the deck and he is yelling, hurl me into the sea. It's because of me that this storm is here. If you throw me in, the storm will stop. It's my fault. It's because of me. He's after me. You throw me in, you'll be saved. But what was their response? How did the sailors respond? They didn't like the idea, did they? They may have accepted that there was a God, like Jonah said, who made the heavens and the earth. And maybe he's even the only God that there is. But they were not yet convinced that giving Jonah to God would make the storm stop. There's a couple interesting things that we can see here. One is that finally Jonah is doing his job as a prophet in the middle of a storm. He started back in verse 9 when he told the sailors who God was. And now here in verse 12, he prophesies. He is being a good Jew. He understands some things theologically. He knew the principle of Romans 3.23 that the wages and the cost of sin is, yeah, the wages of sin is death. He understood that. The whole Jewish sacrificial system was based on this principle. 
When you sin, you pay a sacrifice of blood. And God, in his grace, allows this animal's blood to take the place of human blood. And this showed that God is absolutely holy and he is absolutely serious about sin. And Jonah here actually acts like a prophet for the first time in this book. He tells them the truth. He tells it like it is. He predicts the future. You sacrifice me, this storm will subside. It will stop. We'll talk about Jonah a little bit more, but let's zone in on these sailors here. Rather than responding, listening, believing, and following Jonah's words, they resist, right? Check out verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Wouldn't you? Okay, I get it. You're, you're, you got this God and he's angry at you. Let's get back to shore. We'll refund you all your money, but let's, right now, let's get back to shore. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Their rowing was no match at all for God's mighty hurling. No match. And this is the second thing I think is interesting about the scene. The sailor's response to the prophet. It's a picture of so many of us in what is actually happening to you and me spiritually. Many of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are like the the sailors. Things happen in life. It's, it's sort of, and you know what kind of things happen in life? They're, they're sometimes difficult. And they're ugly and they're, they're tense. And they're, it's like, it's ugly. It's constantly grating against you. And it, it sort of has this effect on us of waking up our spiritual senses. When it all hits the fan, all of a sudden our hearts and our minds suddenly become awake. And we suddenly become spiritual again. You become more interested in, and maybe even partially open to the idea that God is in the midst of all of this. But then you realize, after your heart's been kind of awakened, then you realize what it's going to cost you to really follow him. And what do we do? We back off. If you're like these guys, you really don't think you had any problem or really any need for saving And you start going into action mode. Instead of turning to God to save you, you try to start saving yourself. You turn to and make up your own self-salvation project. And it looks different for every person who is in here. Here's some different ways. For some, it's exercise. You realize that your life absolutely sucks You've got some health issues, you've got this. Things are just absolutely out of whack in your life. And so what do you do? So you, you figure, I'm going to save my life and I'm going to save me by getting back into shape and just eating better. Anybody? Uh-huh, me too. For some of you, your self-salvation project is financial. You realize that money has wrecked you. Your misuse of money has wrecked you. And so you, you figure you, you'll save your life by getting a, a new job, a better career, and you'll handle your money differently. That is what is going to save my life. And I'm going to work harder financially. For some of you, it's moral. You realize that you have been doing a bunch of bad things. And so you figure you're just going to stop them And suddenly, if you do these moral things, you are going to be happier and you'll save yourself. For some of you, it's a new relationship, new friends, a new hobby, a new house, a new outlook on life. And that is what is going to save me. It could be a hundred of other different kinds of things, but here's what they all have in common. They're all at their root, self-salvation projects. And everyone looks away from the word of God and dependence on God to save you. And instead you look to yourself and you look to your own efforts. For the sailors, what did they know best to do? Row. Get me the heck out of Dodge. And I am just going to row. 
But as you can see, it doesn't work. Self-salvation projects never work. Or when they do, you find out that your heart is just as jacked up and you are still in deep need of saving. And here's the principle. We are helpless. You are helpless at avoiding God. Helpless. You will never get to the point in your life when you are not in need of God. No matter how hard you try, everything always will consistently boil down to your need for God and Him to save you. Every time. And I'm going to move on to the second point in just a little bit. But I need to ask this question. Are you trying to avoid God, the God issue in your life, thinking that you can fix yourself? Are you trying to avoid the God issue in your life, thinking that you can just fix yourself? Think about this past week when it hit the fan. When times became difficult, where did you turn? Was it your self-salvation project? Or did you turn to the living God who alone is able to rescue you? And let me just tell you, you cannot fix yourself. What you need to, and this is going to sound odd, what you need to do is actually hurl yourself into the sea and trust God to save you. In the moment, it is going to look like absolute stupidity. The beautiful thing of Scripture is we have this view that we can stand over and look at how this story ends, and we can look at Jonah going, you're an idiot. If you would have just followed God, or I know how the story ends. Jonah, just, just jump over. Get into the sea. Maybe you need to just hurl yourself into the sea and trust God to save you. So the second point. The second point is the condition and the confession. Just honestly admitting to God. And we've got two conditions and we've got two confessions here. We basically just talked about the sailor's condition. Now let's talk about Jonah before we go on to the sailor's confession. So Jonah. Jonah is a marked man. God has a mark. He is walking around with a, a target on his back. Everywhere he ducks, everywhere he goes, he is a marked man. God is after him. After him. There's nowhere that he can go. He is a marked man. And it, here's, it, this is one of the great mysteries of, of the Bible. Why God chooses to set his love upon certain people and then pursue them ferociously. Did you see that here? There is nothing that Jonah can do to escape God. He's a marked man. And God's love, he, he marks him with his love and he pursues him ferociously. Just pursues him. And when God has chosen to love you, this, make this personal, when God has chosen to love you, he will stop at nothing, nothing, in order to bring us to the point where we are humbled and confess him as Lord and Savior and entrust him, ourselves, totally to him, even if it means churning up the whole sea to get it done. God will stop at nothing to accomplish his mission in having you submit to his will and his mercy. And Jonah here knows his condition, doesn't he? There's no question. He told the sailors back in verse 10 that he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. It's why verse 12 is just absolutely huge. Now, some people have debated that Jonah is just being selfish here and trying just to get away from God again. But I don't think so. I think it takes a lot of humility and compassion to be able to say what he says in verse 12. Let's look at it again. What does he say to the sailors? He says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Such brutal honesty and really such love for the life of these sailors that Jonah is willing to give up his life in order to save others. Do you you see some kind of shadowing, foreshadowing going on here? He is willing to give up his life for the sake of others. The one thing is that Jonah was not innocent, but there was a better Jonah coming. Here's the thing, and I'm going to be straight with you. I don't think many of us, many of us, I don't think many of us are really honest with ourselves. And I don't think we like talking, taking responsibility about our own junk, our own issues, our own sin in our lives. I don't think we like admitting fault, do we? How many of you love just saying, oh, that, that, that one, that was my fault. <laughs> Hold on, I got more. That was my fault. Really? That one was my... Hold on, I'm not done yet. That was my fault too. That one right there, oh, shoot, there's another one. That was my fault. None of us love just standing in line and saying, that was me. That one was really ugly. That was my fault. Oh, hold on a second. I got an uglier one. And it created a total family disaster. This one created total addiction issues. This one created total dissension. This one created total anger. Wait, I got a better one. None of us love doing this. I think we like to think ourselves better than we actually are. Right? I think we like to blame situations. I think we like to blame other people. And I think we like to blame God for our mistakes. And when Jonah says, I know this is because of me, those are heavy words. Those are big words to say, it's my fault. It's me. I'm the one who has totally messed this situation up. To truly confess sin and to truly repent. You see, I think some of us like to think, think the church or this or that is the problem, right? Right? We quickly do the blame game, kind of like Adam and Eve in, in Genesis. They, they quickly, God says, where are you? Oh, hey, hold on a second, God. It was her. And what does Eve do? She quickly goes, hold on a second. It was him, that snake. And we quickly do the blame game. It's, that's the problem. And if we just get that fixed, we would be so much better. But none of those things are really the issue. It's you. You're the issue. It's me. I'm the issue. And some of you think you know all the right stuff. You've got all the right head knowledge. The reality is you know your heart doesn't really, really believe it. And you can't handle admitting it. Do you really know how to repent? Not just admit that you're doing something wrong or bad, but recognize the sin steeped in your heart. We've got to learn how to exegete or take apart our hearts just like we do with Scripture. But there's something cool here in what happens with Jonah and the the sailors. And when you come to a place where you are willing to admit your, as Mike called it, calls it often, your jacked upness, totally jacked up. If you, when you get to that point where you are willing to admit you are totally screwed up, totally screwed up, what automatically does that does is it gives you compassion for other people. Because you're not looking down on them anymore. Everyone is literally in Jonah's case, in the same boat. We are Jonah. And once Jonah admits his sin, he wants to save the sailors. Once we admit that we are sinners whom God is working in and saving, then we get liberated We get liberated and free to actually open up with one another. And we're actually able to extend grace and acceptance for one another. But it's only after we are able to say, I 
am screwed up. And that's the communal aspect of the gospel. You see, the church isn't supposed to be a country club of a bunch of people who have it all together. It's meant to be much more like a hospital because we are all sick and wounded and need help and need healing. All right, so Jonah confesses in verse 14, and then the sailors do. Their confession is like, but totally unlike Jonah's. It's like Jonah's because they, they're, they're openly and admitting their condition be, before this God of the universe who, who rules over the land and the, and, and the sea. And, but it's unlike Jonah because they do it before God. Jonah is making his confession before men. These, these guys are making their confession before a holy God. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord. What, what do you notice about the Lord? It is, it's all capitalized, right? They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. This is big. They call God by his self given name whenever you see this in the old testament lord capitalized it is god's self-given name yahweh yahweh which we read in all caps this is big because they are acknowledging god as the true god and calling on his name for the first time their confession here is a conversion conversion they they don't want to be held guilty for jonah's death but they realize that their rowing is doing nothing and that god has announced the verdict by only increasing the level of the storm it started out at this level and it's only getting worse and it's getting worse jonah is guilty and what god wants and what is going to please god is hurling jonah overboard I'll say this and then we're going to move on to the next text. It may be very well that some of you here this morning have really never called on the name of the Lord. Or at least for a long time. You may use God's name. You may sing about Him. You may talk about Him. You may even call yourself a Christian or a follower of God. But you never really, and I mean really from the depths of your soul say, you are my God and I trust you acts 2 21 says everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved some of you need to call on the name of the lord god today and may god grant you that grace to call on him really call on him but let's Move on and look at how God grants grace and mercy. Grace, I love this section. Grace and mercy to both Jonah and the sailors and then what it means for us corporately. First, we see God granting grace by saving these random pagan sailors who really knew nothing about God until this whole Jonah and this whole storm ordeal took place. They knew nothing about the God of this universe. The storm is really for them a blessing in disguise. It's a blessing. In verse 15, what a moment that must have been when they picked up Jonah. Could you see it? It was kind of like, all right, I got his legs, you got his arms. And they're, they're going to do what? Are you ready for this? Count of three. And, you know, the whole time the, the, the ship is going back and forth because the storm is still going hard. And they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The text here gives the impression that the ceasing is almost immediate. Jonah hits the water, and <laughs> could you imagine? You are just, sometimes we read this with our, our Western eyes. I'm really familiar with this story. But they, they're doing this. The storm is going back and forth. And they throw him, and they watch him and go, I hope we're doing the right thing. And also, Everything stops. The storm, the sky's clear, the wind stops, the water stills, and they're going, <sighs> literally, oh my God. 
literally. The repeated and contrasting use of the word hurl is not unintentional. They hurl Jonah overboard, and God quits hurling the storm, and they're saved. Their reaction is recorded in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Back in verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid. They were filling their shorts at that moment back then. And now, they fear exceedingly. There's a shift because earlier their their fear is a fear of terror. And they think they might die. Now, it is a fear of awe, of reverence, of respect and honor. These men here, the, the sailors are just simply stunned. The sea is like calm, like a glassy lake. And can you imagine what it is like? What what would you think in that absolute moment? What would be your reaction? And the sailors realize in that moment that it is God who grants life and grants death. And they are changed, forever changed, into a life of fear and worship of God. They don't, they don't get upset with God at this point. They don't tell God, man, that wasn't fair that you, you put me through this. Are you serious, God? You put me through this? All for that? No. They immediately fear God. And sometimes in life, sometimes you find yourselves in extremely sticky and absolutely messy situations because of someone else's sins. Amen? I mean, you think about it. You, you look back over your life and go, How, why am I in this situation? I have done absolutely nothing. I've been faithful. I've been serving. I've been doing my job. I've been doing this. But because of that person, I am in this messy, sticky, sloppy situation. I am in a Mike Rowe situation. You know who Mike Rowe is? He's the guy who intentionally climbs into those nasty... Anyway, look it up, Google it, and you'll watch some videos. But they climb, and some of you have gone through this messy stuff yourself. But here's the thing it doesn't matter so much the why and the what that has happened. The why of what happened, but what matters is how you respond. Do you respond in fear and in worship of the Lord? Or do you respond in bitterness and anger against the Lord? For the soldier, they came into this, the the sailors, they came into this story not knowing God at all. They were godless and they leave this story now with eyes wide open, knowing God. And sometimes people who, have, who walk through this kind of stuff in life, this junk in life, they'll ask me about why, why does God have me going through this? Why, why would a good God, a loving God, allow me to go through this? If he ordains these moments, why would God ordain me to go through this junk? And I'd say because God knew exactly what you needed. And there's probably no other way for you to learn because of how you are uniquely wired to learn and experience life. If you didn't go through what you did, you would probably never truly have the same sense of God's love and grace in you. It's necessary. So do we lift up our hands and say, I worship you in the storm? Or do we shake our fist and say, why? How about Jonah? Where is he in all of this? Pretty much if I was in Jonah's shoes, I'd pretty much feel like I have lost my God. In verse 12, he's the one who tells the men to throw him out. He, he figures he's, he's done. This is the end. It's time to pay the piper. I ran. Time to pay the consequences, right? 
I, I can imagine him feeling absolutely useless. There's no more use for me. I, I've screwed this up. I, I've lost my status. I've lost my position of being in favor with God in his service as a prophet. God probably doesn't love me or care for me anymore. He probably just wants me dead. I mean, really, Jonah has lost, felt that feels like he has lost his God and he becomes a, a spiritual and a literal castaway. Have any of you felt that? Like you're just damaged goods. Like you've blown it so bad that there's no way that God could ever love you. I'm pretty sure that's how Jonah was at this point. When they threw him overboard, I'm guessing that he didn't even fight it. He didn't even struggle. He just closed his eyes, let himself go limp, and sank down and down and down. Then God commands a fish to save this godless prophet. Verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. At this point, this is where many people start dismissing the whole story and say, ah, oh, fairy tale. Oh, this is just a fable. This is just crazy stuff. And we've already talked about miracles and we started when we started the book. And so I'm not going to go into that all again. Basically, if there is a God, then he can do miracles. Because he's the one who made the rules of nature and reserves the right as God to break them. But the real miracle here is not the fish. It's not the fish. It's this little word at the beginning of verse 17, appointed. Did you see it? The word is mana. In the Hebrew, which is in its form, it means to prepare, to appoint, ordain, or determine. It, it, that's the crazy thing here because what the Bible is alluding to here is that this was God's plan all along to have Jonah thrown overboard and when he's thrown over God had his fish ready to snatch him up all of God's creation is at his command and God commanded that fish to be there at that boat ahead of time and just at the right moment I want you to imagine this at that right moment as Jonah is sinking into the sea God says okay now and has the fish swallow him whole the fish is a huge surprise in this story isn't it you don't you don't see it coming if you really read it with fresh eyes you don't see it coming it creates an automatic wow factor it's, it's an amazing statement, both of God's greatness and it's a statement of God's amazing grace. God got a fish to save Jonah. It doesn't matter what Jonah has done, but God had determined all along, all along, not just to kill Jonah, to obliterate him, but to bring Jonah to a place where he was experiencing God's saving power. Earlier, I said that some of you need to hurl yourself into the sea, right? Just hurl yourself. And that's because some of you need to just be swallowed whole. Some of you need to experience God's saving power. Some of you have never really seen what God can do in your life. Because you're caught up in your self-salvation projects or caught in this pit of depression and sleeping in the belly of, of this ship and you've just been caught up in that. You've got to remember that God is a redeemer and he is a restorer. And he can take the most messed up, jacked up person, the most ugly situation and turn it for good. And when you surrender all your life to God and allow yourself to sink into His mercy, oh, the wonders that God can do. If today, it doesn't matter what degree, 
if today you feel like an undeserving castaway, then know the reason God put this book in the Bible is for you. So that you might know the extent of his mercy and his grace. God appointed this great fish for Jonah. And God appointed you to be with him. So what's the result? It doesn't end with just a fish, right? The result here for both the sailors and for Jonah is worship. This is what happens when we experience, truly experience God's saving grace. It causes men, women, and children, old and young, to just worship him. And this is the, the last point of the morning. The sailors, what do they do when they come to truly fear the Lord? They basically have a worship service. They offer sacrifice. They make vows. Basically, they start praying and singing and giving their stuff and their money. Jonah, what does he do when he comes, when God gives him the fish? We'll look at it more in depth next week. But if you read the first part of the first verse of chapter 2, you can see what's coming. He prays. Now here's the thing. It's easy to get caught up in either the story of the sailors or, or of Jonah and identifying with either the sailors or, the, the, or Jonah. But that's not really where the story is meant to lead us at all. It's not meant for you and I to really, oh, I am so Jonah, or oh, I am so the sailor. Really, the story is meant to lead us to the true story of the Bible. God. The whole book of Jonah is about the greatness and the goodness of God. He saves, hear this, he saves all kinds of people. He saves all kinds of people. He saves pagans who are just totally agnostic, atheistic, away from God, running and just ignoring his very presence on this earth, those kind of people, and he saves the prophets alike. Christians and non-Christians, all people need, the sa need saving, and he is sufficient for every type. And this, my friends, is the message of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus himself talked about Jonah and, and what happened to him and the sailors. And we're, we'll, we'll talk about this later on as we get to the end of the book. But for now, let, let me just read Matthew 12, verse 40. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus at the time looks in on the story of Jonah, how Jonah gives up his life to save a few sailor men and says, that's like me. That's what I am about to do. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who was able to speak the word of the Lord. Jesus is the true prophet of heaven who is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. This Word is God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jonah deserved death and allowed himself to be hurled into, into the sea to save a few random sailors. Jesus did not deserve death and allowed himself to be hurled up on the cross to save all who put their faith in him. Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish and is spit out on dry land after three days. Jesus gets swallowed by death itself and then rises from the dead after three days. Jonah's sacrifice was temporary. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all time. Jesus is the true and the better Jonah. And here's the reality. We serve a God who saves the godless. My conclusion is that Jesus is God's Savior for us all. And I think we all tend to swing on a pendulum between either by acting as if there's no God at all or by ignoring the God that we know. And both places leave us 
godless. And we need our Savior. The good news of the gospel is that God gives us His Son who is the Lord. And God promises to be with us always. In Jesus, we have a Savior who died the death that we deserve. And He rose to give us the new life that we need if we will be in Him. We, and we are going to be coming at the Lord's Supper. So don't start packing up because that's usually what starts happening. I mentioned Lord's Supper and it's like, we all get done. We're going to be coming to the Lord's Supper in a moment. And in the bread and in the cup, we recognize Jesus' death, His body, and His resurrection. The new life that He has given us. And some of you have been avoiding God. Just avoiding. It's a help. Let me tell you, it is a helpless cause. Helpless. You're rowing against the storm. Stop avoiding it. And receive his welcome of, come to me. Come to me. Some of you have not been honest at all with God. Perhaps ever or in a very long time. And you need to admit your condition and confess your need for him. Not a temporary need. My life's greatest need is Him. As we come to this, this meal, it is a special time of God's grace. A time for Him to move and work in our hearts and in our lives as we respond to the teaching that you've just received. We all need saving. Every one of you. And Jesus is a Savior. And His grace in salvation is meant to cause us to worship. That's why we sing. And that's why we are to sing with all of our heart. Men, women, children. That's why we sing with all of our heart. And even if it sounds awful, we sing with all of our heart because of God's grace given to us. So let's do that. We're going to come expectantly. We're going to come expecting that Jesus will nourish us and find us more. We'll find ourselves more deeply rooted in Him because of the gospel this morning. And we are going to be worshiping Him with true hearts. So let's come in need and let's come in thanks in a worshipful fear of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.